this morning. Did anybody notice how nice the weather has been the past few days? It's been in the 50s. It's all got to 60 on Thursday or Friday. I don't remember if it got that high yesterday. Uh, and then God decided, because we are having soup today, to give us a nice 32-degree day with snow on the ground. Right? We can look at anything that happens, and we can either look out and say, why is it still snowing? I hate the cold. Or we can say, thank you, God, for this weather. Thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you. And we'll do that no matter if it's cold or hot or anything. Uh, so, happy Valentine's Day Eve to everyone. How many of you uh, have... Uh, Spouses that are here today. If you if you're if you're married and your spouse is here today, go ahead and stand up. I want another no, 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 stand up. Oh, I'm not standing up. <laughs> you can stand up. Alright. How many of you have spouses who are downstairs in, in the children's uh, place right now? Okay. Uh, so Louie and uh, Paul. Go downstairs and kiss your wives right now. Don't tell them why. Don't tell them why. Go and kiss your wives because these guys here, they're the husbands and wives. You guys are going to be kissing right now. We're just going to show a little bit of love. I'm going to kiss my wife because I love her. Oh, nobody else is kissing their spouse. I, I prepared the wrong sermon for this morning. You guys sit down. Wow. Here's poor Bob sitting up here. His spouse is on the road coming back from New Jersey. He doesn't get to... I'm not kissing you, but your mic's not on. My mic's not on. <laughs> My mic's not on. So you guys at home, you didn't get to hear any of that. But I just, I asked everybody to kiss their spouses and only like three sets of spouses kissed. I don't know what's going on. But yes, tomorrow we celebrate our our love for each other our husbands our wives our boyfriends our girlfriends all of these things but every day we should be celebrating the love that we have from god and we should be showing that love every single day so as you're thinking about those things just like tori said in the message you know you guys can make some hearts and some jars too we actually have a grateful jar at home that Wendy put together. And every once in a while, if we feel particularly grateful, we just write something down. And then eventually, when it's all filled up, we're going to go and we're going to read all the things we're grateful for. Think about all of the ways that you love the people in your lives. Think of all of the ways that you show God's love to people, whether you know them or not. How did they react OK, guys? Were they confused? Excellent. Pastor Joe sowing discord amongst the Sunday school people. But remember God's love and remember that the reason we gather here is because he loved us. Yes, we gather because we love him. But he loved us first. And he loved us so much that he gave his only son to die for us so that we can spend eternity with him. How many of you are looking forward to spending eternity with your spouses? How many of you are looking forward to that part of the vow that says, till death do us part? Oh, a couple of you, okay, good. 
But we here, we gather here this week and we are just, we love God and we know that God loved us. And today we're going to be taking our next leg on our journey with Jesus. And last week we left Jesus while he was still in the wilderness. And he had been tempted by the devil for 40 days and he had fasted for 40 days. And we watched as Jesus repelled these temptations of the devil like some superhero we see with the with the shield just bouncing things off and we saw his unwavering obedience to the father and really that's what helped him to fight these temptations and we saw that when the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time. And we said that opportune time is another time when the devil would come and try to tempt Jesus. And we're going to see further along in our journey how the devil continued to tempt Jesus. And in Matthew's account, uh, we learned that the devil left him and angels came and were ministering to him. God sent angels to take care of Jesus so that food that the devil tempted him to have, that's what the angels were giving Jesus. They were feeding him. They were taking care of him. They were ministering to him and strengthening him. And after his time in the wilderness, we find that Jesus left the wilderness. He went into Galilee he left his childhood home of Nazareth. And we read in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. We see Jesus fulfilling yet another prophecy about Messiah. And remember, we started this journey talking about the things that Jesus did and the way that he lived that fulfilled all of these messianic prophecies, these things that the Jews had been looking for for hundreds and hundreds of years. And we see Jesus, the light of the world, dwelling in this Galilee of the Gentiles and ministering to them. And then we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's on this part of the journey that Jesus now starts his ministry. He has been baptized. He has gone through these temptations. He has fasted. He has prayed. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And he starts his ministry. And we also learn the overarching purpose for his ministry. Everybody says, well, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Oh, he came to save the world. Well, what does that mean? 
What it means is that Jesus is calling all people to repentance so that they might experience the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as we sometimes call it. And for those of you who have ever wondered about the central message of the gospel, you are talking to people and they, they want to know, well, what, what do you believe? This is what you can tell them. This is the central message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we're not going to go out on the street corners with our signs like the people did back in the 60s and 70s and go, repent! You're going to go to hell! That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But what we can tell people is that we believe that we are sinners. We believe that we have been born in sin, that we have rejected God, and that Jesus came to ask us to repent, to turn back to God. And as we continue on this journey, we will see that everything that Jesus does and everything that he says surrounds this central message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now repent, that's a really churchy word, right? And it's become very like kind of a weird word for people to hear. You don't usually hear somebody tell other people to repent unless it's a churchy thing, right? But let's see what it really means. I mean, Jesus used it. So let's see what it means. The word for repent in the Greek is this word, metanaeo. Everybody say, metanaeo. Oh, that was pathetic. Can't get you, well, of course, I can't get you to kiss your spouse. How am I going to get you to say words out loud? <laughs> metanaeo literally means to change one's mind due to remorse or to change one's way due to remorse. Basically what I'm saying is that I'm sorry for what I was thinking or I'm sorry for the way I've been doing things. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to change that. Jesus is asking us to turn away from our nature. Our nature is one of wanting to please ourselves, wanting to take care of ourselves at the expense of a relationship with the Father. Jesus is saying, change your mind. Because really, let's face it, we don't do so well when we're taking care of ourselves, do we? Some people we see, they say, yeah, I am. I'm a billionaire. I take care of myself. I don't need anybody. <coughs> do they have troubles? Do they have problems? Do they drink? Do they do drugs? Do they do this? Do they do that? Just because you have money doesn't mean that you're doing well. But Jesus is asking us to turn away from what happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago when the serpent, the devil, came and successfully tempted Adam and Eve to turn their backs on God, to walk away. And all Jesus is saying here with this word repent is turn around. 
Change your mind about who God is. Change your mind about the things that God does. Because Adam and Eve, they chose evil. And when they did, sin entered humanity. Their choice made them disobedient to God and by default made everyone here and everyone on earth disobedient to God. And last week we talked about temptation and sin and we fall into sin. We're saying that we choose, and this might frighten some of you, but I choose the devil's way instead of God's way. That's what I choose when I sin. God wants us to choose him. God wants us to choose good because God knows exactly what is good for each and every person. He wants us to change our minds and say, no, what the world is offering, what the devil is offering is not good. He wants us to turn away from that evil and journey back into the good relationship with him. And Jesus's gospel says, turn around, repent, turn around, change your mind, let go of the evil that the devil would use to keep your soul dead because that's his goal our souls are dead until we come to life in jesus christ the devil would keep us dead he would keep us in the spiritual grave jesus wants us to grab hold of the good jesus wants us to look to god and have life that's the gospel and you can explain that to anybody. And everything that Jesus says and does throughout all of the Gospels, you read those things, and he shows us that good. He shows us that relationship with God, and he is trying to persuade us to choose it. And keep this in mind while we go through the rest of the, the coming weeks when we talk about this journey with Jesus. Jesus is asking you to choose good and to let go of evil. And the next thing we see on our journey with Jesus, uh, we're actually going to read in Luke chapter 5. So we're going to read this. If you want to turn to it in your Bible or your Bible app, you can. But we're starting in Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. See, this is why you should open and read your Bibles, because sometimes your pastor forgets slides. <laughs> and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were, fish and were washing their nets. We see Jesus. He's out there. He's preaching this gospel of repentance. He's talking to people, and he's starting to attract a crowd. And we see here that the crowd had started pressing in on him. He's down by the, the sea, Lake Gennesaret, same thing as the Sea of Galilee. And he's down there, he's on the shore, and he's talking, and people keep getting closer, and people get, keep getting closer, and all of a sudden he's up against the water. And he sees these two boats. Jesus felt like he needed to maybe put a little bit of space so that more people could come down by the water and hear him talk. So Jesus 
Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, this is our first introduction to a man named Simon, and here's what we know so far about this guy already, because Luke is a really good author. We know that he owns a fishing boat. We know that he works on Lake Gennesaret, which is also called the Sea of Galilee. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we also learn that Simon, called Peter, also has a brother who is his partner in the fishing business, and his name is Andrew. So by reading the Gospels, we learn all of this stuff right at the moment that Jesus meets Simon for the first time. And we can see that Simon and Andrew, they're done fishing for the day, right? How many of you clean your stuff before you go out to work? No, we clean our equipment after we get finished working, right? And they're there cleaning their nets. Now, before we go on in Luke, I wanna, I wanna just take a few minutes here. I wanna talk to you about fishing. Guys are like, yes, fishing, right? Ladies, some of you like fishing, some of you don't, but you know, I don't actually like fishing all that much. But I want to talk to you a little bit about fishing. Because fishing was a very profitable uh, profession in the first century. Very profitable. It was also very noble. You were respected as a fisherman because you were a businessman. And you actually did all of the work yourself. So you knew how to do it, you knew your product, you knew all of these things. Fishermen needed to be skilled in boating, they needed to be skilled in reading the signs of the weather and the seasons, they needed to know how to swim, they needed to know several types of fishing depending on where they were, what uh, time even of day it is. And then they also needed to know how to smoke, dry, pickle, and salt the fish they would catch. And they would catch things in the Sea of Galilee like tilapia and catfish and sardines. Those were like kind of the big three. And you use different techniques to catch each of those kinds of fish. So they had to know all of this and then they had to know how to price their fish so that they could sell and be profitable. This was a noble profession. People respected fishermen. So don't ever let somebody tell you that Jesus' disciples were completely stupid. They might have been simple, they might have only focused on one thing, but they did it well. Fishermen also usually made their nets. Those nets that they're maintaining, the ones that they're washing, they usually would make those themselves. And there's several different kinds of nets that they would that they would build. First one was kind of this drag net, and basically you throw the net off of the back of the, the boat, and there's weights and everything to kind of hold it down. You take the boat someplace, and as you're going, net drags along behind, catches fish. Next was a cast net. Sometimes they would be closer to the shore, right? They'd have fish that were kind of up on the surface. They could take a net. Uh, either from their boat or even just from the water, and they would just cast this net, and then they'd have a rope that was at the end, and they'd pull it, and the fish <coughs> would pull the fish in. And then there was another one, usually that took two boats to, to work back then. Now you can do it with one. But 
Back then, they made what were called trammel nets. Now, trammel nets are these nets that have both outer and inner layers. So fish could swim in. There was enough room to swim in to the outer layer of the nets, and then they'd get caught up in the inner layer of the nets. And that's how they would uh, do that. And they would uh, connect the net to one boat, and they would connect the net to the other boat. And these things could be hundreds of feet wide. And then they would drop them down, and there's weights down to keep them down. And then the boats would just sit there and wait for the fish to swim in. And sometimes the fishermen, they'd be there with you know, their oars or with their hands, and they'd be splashing the water trying to scare the fish. And sometimes there'd be a third boat where you know, they would be scared. They'd find the fish over here, and they'd kind of scare the fish over towards the net. And that's how they would, would catch the fish. It's a really complicated system. And the fishermen needed to know how to do all of them. The fishing boat itself, it was about 27 feet long. So you think about a 27-foot boat, it's about a little bit shorter than a school bus, right? And it was about eight feet wide. Sides sat pretty low, probably like five feet, because you wanted to be able to cast your nets over it, or you needed to be able to jump into the water. Sometimes you'd have to jump into the water to pull the nets back up. And the boats had a flat bottom to keep them from capsizing, although, you know, with a low boat like that, you're going to capsize if a wave wants to catch you. And it probably held about 15 people, although most crews were in the numbers maybe two to six people, but you could hold about 15. And we know so much about these, this boat because back in uh, 1986, uh, a 2,000-year-old fishing boat was recovered from the mud bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And they determined it was about 2,000 years old. They did all the carbon dating, all the scientific stuff. They determined right around the time that Jesus would have been there, this is when that boat was being used. Now, that's not to say this is the boat that Jesus was on. I don't want to say that, but it was right about that time. Last thing we need to know is that fishermen worked long hours, long, long hours. They would gather together their, their crew at dawn, and they would start pulling out the nets, and they would get the boat ready, and they would get the sails ready, and they would get the bait ready, and they would get all of these things ready. And then they'd fish for a few hours until it got really hot during the day, and then they'd go and rest for a couple of hours. And then they would go back out at night to fish. Because those trammel nets that we just looked at, you couldn't drop those during the day. You had to drop them at night. Otherwise, the fish would see them. And we don't know how, we don't know why, but fish can communicate with one another, and they would steer clear of those nets. Now, I know what you're thinking. Joe, this is all very fascinating, and the level of detail is exquisite. <laughs> but can you get on with the sermon already? And yes, I can get on with the sermon, but I wanted you to know these things because they're going to be important in just a minute or two, and you're going to see why. We're going to read on in Luke chapter 5. And when he had finished speaking, this is Jesus. He's finished teaching all of these people. He said to Simon... Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
Now we read this and we don't really think much of it, but if you put all the stuff I just told you about fishing together with this moment, imagine that you're Simon. You got up at dawn the day before and you fished all day and then you rested for a couple of hours. Then you fished all night and you're dragging these nets and you're rowing your boat and you, you're ready, you're finally ready, you got to shore. You didn't catch anything, but you are ready to take a break. And I just got all of my nets off of the boat. And these, like I said, some of these nets were like hundreds of feet long. They were heavy nets. Just got them cleaned. When I come home and Wendy has cleaned the whole house and then I said, oh, by the way, honey, I've invited a dozen people over for dinner. Do you think she's happy? just finished cleaning. I'm just getting ready to go lay down for the couple of hours. And you want me to go out and fish some more. So you get back into your boat and you got to drag all your nets back. You got to make sure that your crew is there. And then you just kind of, you know, head out. But here's Jesus. Can I borrow your boat? I want to teach for a while, and then I'm going to tell you how to do your job. <laughs> we love that, don't we, guys and girls? We love people telling us how to do our job. Teachers, where's my teachers and my principals and people like that in here? We love it when people tell us how to do our jobs. It's great. So Jesus says, let's go fishing. I can see Peter saying, look, I know you're a good teacher. I was just listening to you. Really nice stuff. Repent, kingdom of heaven. Woo! Um, yes. But stay in your lane, Jesus. You don't know anything about fishing. You might know about heaven. You might know about God, but leave fishing to the professionals. We just went out all night. And that's what he said. And he probably said it pretty loudly. Master, what are you talking about? We just fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And then I can imagine Jesus giving Simon the look. <laughs> Once again, my teachers, you know the look, right? When I'm standing in front of my class and I'm trying to get ready to get started and I say, okay, let's get started. And like three or four of the kids are still talking and then I'll just kind of, kind of move a little bit over to where they are. <laughs> and you know, some of the other kids that are, you know, teacher's pets, shh, he's trying to stop talking, shh. <laughs> If you've got a group, good group of kids, they'll, they'll be quiet. If you've got a bad group, he's going to go, shut up, I'll talk whenever I want to talk. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't say anything else. Put out and let's go drop your nets. Jesus, I know my business. There's no fish out there. They went on vacation or something. I don't know where they are, but they're not out there. Come on. And that's when I think Peter says, but at your word, we will drop the nets. And I think he said it just like that. Fine. You're so smart. You want to see what's out there? Fine. 
we'll go. And I can imagine that he starts, you know, getting everything ready and he's packing his boat and I'm guessing he's kicking his nets and he's going to let down the nets. What does he know about letting down the nets? And I've been letting down nets all of them and I'm putting the stuff in the boat. And I'm like, you want to go fishing? Come on, let's go fishing. imagine that that's the attitude that Simon had. But they set sail. They go. And we learn a little later that uh, Simon and Andrew had partners, right? Remember Jesus saw two boats? One of them was Simon's. The other one belonged to James and John. They were their partners. They went fishing together, which was, you know, good for business. It was also good for safety in case they had problems with one boat, the other people could get it, whatever. But they set sail. Now the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long this way, about eight miles wide. It's about 140 feet deep at, at its deepest part, like kind of right there in the middle. And Jesus says, let your nets down into the deep. So now they got to sail four miles, right? And maybe there's no wind. And the only way you could propel a boat back in that day was using your oars. And these tired guys are rowing out about three, four miles into the deep. They're not getting any happier. So they put out probably an hour or two. And then we read on. And when they had done this, dropping their nets, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. How many of you have ever seen a Jesus movie? Anybody ever seen Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, uh, greatest story ever told? Have you ever, remember the scenes? The fish scene, right? And we see all of these fish, right? They don't get it right. There was a study done in 2017 that talked about exactly how much fish would cause a boat to sink, that particular kind of boat to sink. And after all of these calculations and all of these determinations, and they figured out, well, there's this many people on the boat, and there's this much equipment on the boat, so that's part of the weight, and the boat itself is part of the weight, they determined that each boat could carry 31,000 pounds of fish before it began to sink. 31,000 pounds. I mean, these were not big boats, but they were, boom, mounded up with fish. And it was two boats that were getting ready to sink or starting to sink. That's 62,000 pounds of fish that these guys caught. According to the calculations, they might be off slightly, but I don't think they're off that much. These were like physicists and, and you know, people that know this. So Simon and Andrew in one boat, their partners in another boat, 62,000 pounds of fish weighing down the boat so that they start to sink. What's Simon thinking now? I'll tell you what Simon and Andrew and Peter or and uh, James and John and their crews are thinking because the study that I just mentioned, they also calculated the value of fish back in about, it, well, this was in about 300 AD, but we could probably guess that it's not that far off. 
They concluded that the fish were worth anywhere from 600,000 to 1 million denarii. A denarius was a small coin. It was about a day's wages. That's what they would pay a day's wages. They would give one denarius. 600,000 to 1 million denarii. In US dollars today, that would be between 800,000 and 1.3 million dollars of fish. Simon, Andrew, James, and John had just gotten rich. They had just gotten stinking fish filthy rich to the tune of 600,000 to 1 million denarii. They wouldn't have to work the rest of their lives. Their children wouldn't have to work for the rest of their life. I mean, talk about a boat rental fee. Jesus asks to borrow your boat for a couple hours and gives you a million bucks. And you'd think that these partners would be falling all over themselves with excitement, and for the most part, they were. All except for Simon. And we continue reading in this passage. But when Simon Peter, and remember, Jesus called Simon Peter later on in the ministry, but Luke's doing a little foreshadowing here. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Notice the wording here. I'm going to go back to this previous slide. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He doesn't say, Depart from me, Jesus, I'm a sinner. He says, Depart from me. I am a sinful man. I don't deserve this catch of fish. I don't deserve anything. Not, I'm not just a sinner, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. I actively sin. Actively. You don't know me. Jesus knew Simon Peter. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Tell me if you've ever said this to God before. God, I've done so many bad things. You can't possibly forgive me. God, I am an active sinner. I do insert your sins here on a regular basis. There's no way you want me. That God stuff must be for other people. When we feel this way, when we pray this way, Satan thinks he's winning. And he'll try to tempt you. Yeah, believe that. 
Yep, you're a sinner. You actively sin. God doesn't want you. But God answers in a different way. God agrees with you, and he disagrees with you. God says, you're right. You are a sinful person. You have done so many bad things. And you don't deserve my forgiveness. You deserve hell. But I want to give you forgiveness just the same. Repent. Change your way. Change your mind. What Jesus preaches when he preaches repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is that it is never too late for anybody. It is never too late for anybody. I don't care how badly you have sinned. It is not too late for you to change your mind, to change your way, to repent and ask God to forgive you. Because he wants to. God says to each of us, I want you to have good. I want you to have my kingdom. I want you to be co-heirs with my son, Jesus Christ, in the kingdom of heaven. I want to remove your guilt and give you peace. And this is what Jesus says to Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid, Simon. I'm not here to condemn you. You want to tell me all about all of the different ways that you're not worthy? Go ahead. <coughs> Don't care. Repent. Turn around. Change your way. Change your way. And we think about that phrase, change your way or change your ways, right? And we think about changing, you know, the, the, the manner in which we do things. When Jesus says change your way, he's telling you to take a different road. Turn around and walk to the road that leads to the Father. Change your way. You think you're worthless. Take a look at these fish. You just made a million denarii. You're worth more than that. And what's more, when you repent, when you start to obey the will of God, you're going to catch men. And every one of those men is worth more than all of the fish in the entire world. You're going to be catching men's souls. And look what happens. Look at the response of these four men, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. 
Now, some scholars will try to tell you that the fishermen sold all of their stuff and sold all of their fish, pocketed the money, and then they could go with Jesus and, and live happy because they didn't need to worry about money anymore. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says they left everything and followed him. The crew might have gotten rich selling all of that fish. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. I don't need it anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. This group of men, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they would make up Jesus' inner circle. Jesus had 12 apostles, but in the Gospels, several times you'll read that Simon, Peter, James, and John went off with Jesus and left the rest of the apostles behind. They were his inner circle. These were Jesus' closest friends. Think about that for a second. These were Jesus' closest friends, Simus, Simon, the impetuous, mouthy apostle who denied that he knew Jesus after he was arrested. James and John, they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder because they wanted to call down lightning and fire on a town because they said no to Jesus. And these were his closest friends. Guess what? They were his closest friends because they had the most to learn. And Jesus was going to teach them along the way. When I became a pastor for the first time, I had a lady at my church tell me, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. I'm going to end this sermon today talking, by talking to you a little bit about Elvis, the Beatles, and Taylor Swift. Weird, I know, but follow along. In a 1980 interview, John Lennon of the Beatles admitted none of us could read music and none of us could write it. The Beatles have sold over 600 million records. And that was as of 2014 when the article was written that I looked up. Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, Bob Dylan, Stevie Wonder, Eric Clapton, Taylor Swift. Any of these names ring a bell? Anybody know who these people are? None of them could read music. None of them. Some of them couldn't write songs to save their lives. A couple of them could. But those people combined have sold well north of two billion records. Do you know why? Because they used the talent they had and they coupled it with the talent of somebody else. You can write the song, I can sing the song. God equips those whom he calls to work for his kingdom. You don't need a seminary degree to tell somebody about Jesus. You don't need a title like reverend or pastor or father or whatever. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. That's all they knew before they met Jesus. And Jesus equipped them. And if we read through the rest of the New Testament, he equipped them to fish for men's souls, and they did it well. Some of you might not know this. I am not a seminary-trained pastor. I never went to seminary. I went to college for communication, then worked in the business world for 20 years. 
And I was still working in the business world when God called me and said, oh, by the way, you're going to be a pastor now. And I could have said no. But with the help of the Holy Spirit working through me and especially working through my wife, we trusted God. Now, next week, I'm not going to be here. My son and I are going on a trip, father-son time. But you're going to be hearing from a woman who is probably the most obedient person to the Holy Spirit that I have ever personally met in my entire life. And she's not seminary trained either. She works in HR. She just does what God tells her to do. Wendy's going to be sharing with you next week. Because it's what God told her to do. Just like 22 years ago, she told her to marry a tall, fat, bald guy. <laughs> and she did. We're going to learn in our journey with Jesus that we become equipped to make disciples. Simon, Peter, James, John, they were equipped to make disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And we are called to do the same. And if God calls you to go to some country you've never heard of, and share the gospel with people who have never, ever in their entire existence learned the name of Jesus, are you going to be obedient? Or are you going to talk about all the ways that that's not you? If God calls us, he's going to equip us. And if we are obedient to his will, God is going to use us to do mighty things in his kingdom. Do you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this gathering of believers. We thank you that you have called us together to be here, 491 Germany Road in East Berlin on Sunday mornings. Father, coming here is easy. Help us to obey you. Going is hard. Help us to obey you when you tell us something we just don't want to do. Equip us, strengthen us through the Holy Spirit and through godly men and women to do your will. Father, we thank you so much for all that you give us. Help us to be the people that give it all away for the sake of the gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.